first, nothing ominous, just a couple of things that they uh, wanted me to announce that I, I kind of agreed that would be appropriate. Uh, the first, as many of you know, we have a, uh, a pastor emeritus here at our church. And if some of you aren't church people, you're going, what's a pastor emeritus? And it's simply somebody who uh, is highly esteemed. It's a gentleman that was the pastor of this church for 25 years before I was. I've been here nine years. And uh, his name is Dr. Daryl Delhuse. Many of you know him. And Daryl is now the president of Phoenix Seminary. And we have a real tight relationship with them. It's informal by nature. There's no formal ties between Scottsdale Bible and the seminary, but we do a lot of things together. And he asked me to mention this. One of the things that we do is that we host every Monday night during the season a, a president's class. It's, it's funded by the seminary, uh, but we host it here at our church in the venue and at the Shea campus here. And uh, Daryl asked me if I'd mentioned it starting up again tomorrow. It's, it's a very well-attended class. Uh, it would be six to 700 people attend from all over the valley. Daryl is a very good Bible teacher, and they're gonna be studying the book of Esther, which you know I did here about eight years ago, and it was a real hit. And so if, if you are looking for more time in the Word, uh, I would encourage you to think about going to Daryl's uh, president's class starting tomorrow night uh, in our venue. And then also next uh, January, we're going to be talking to all you guys about mission trips. We take about two dozen mission trips here from our church every year. Uh, hundreds of people go uh, abroad, and uh, we encourage you to do that, to serve and to give. Uh, most of them can wait until January to talk to you about, but one of them requires a little bit more prep, and it's the one uh, next year, next May, to, called the European Leadership Forum. Uh, this is the uh, most important, largest gathering of Christian leaders all across Europe every May that there is. Over 40 European countries are involved in this. Six to 700 key European leaders, all Christians from arts, sciences, uh, mission organizations, academia, uh, what have you, and they gather in uh, outside of Krakow, Poland for a week-long conference. And you're saying, why do we go? Uh, we're part of, of about 80 volunteers from the states that helps put this on. And so I've built this as a mission trip in which you don't have to dig a ditch or run an Awana club. So it's a, a kind of one where we're doing a lot of administrative tasks, but you get a peek as to what's going on in Europe. So for instance, last year, the keynote speaker for four days in a row was Dr. John Piper. So most of the volunteers got to hear Piper speak and you get to experience things like that and then be with about 25, 30 other people from Scottsdale Bible. I go to this, it's the one mission trip that I do. I've spoken at it uh, and then I'm I'm also involved on the board uh, uh, that puts this on. And so if that interests you at all in a mission trip next May, grab a brochure at the guest services counter or ask one of your campus pastors at the other campuses and we'll uh, get you in touch with that. But uh, we'd love to have you go on that. And then more on other mission trips in January. Uh, it might, might have been mentioned or might not that we're in a series called Adjustments. We're looking at one chapter in the Bible, uh, taking a look at six major adjustments that Jesus puts before us. It's been a pretty powerful look, at least for me, and I hope it is for you. So let's pray, and we're going to dive right in. Father, thank you for the gathered church here and at Cactus and at Venue, at, at, at Mountain Valley, and at our chapel. And God, we pray that as we all gather now for our time in your word, that you'd be pleased, that you would honor this time by 
the speaking and power of your Holy Spirit so that we might understand rightly what you are saying to us and then apply it faithfully to our lives. That's our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. So I feel like I'm getting older. It was uh, 1982 that I went off to college. And 30 years ago when I, 30 some odd years ago, when I went off to college, I was a very new, brand new Christian. I accepted Christ in 1981. I hadn't gone to church much before that. And, and as I was really beginning to grow in my relationship with Jesus as I went off to college, one of the first things I did, and it was ironic, nobody told me I had to do this, is that I started to seek out other believers. The only problem was I was on a very small college in Michigan that now is known as more of a Christian college, Hillsdale College, but back then it was a conservative school, but it was not Christian very much at all. And so immediately as I started to seek out Christians, I only found two. I'm sure that there were more, but I could only find two in the beginning of my freshman year there. But the two that I found became really close friends and we became very tight over my freshman year. We started a Bible study on our dorm floor. We found a church together. It was my first introduction to Baptists, and I was going to a Baptist church, which freaked my parents out. We even started a, a Campus Crusade for Christ chapter on this little campus there, and we got really close doing all these things together. And at the end of my freshman year, one of my two buddies announced that he wasn't coming back to Hillsdale, that he was going to go to school in Cincinnati, where he is from, and that just left me and my other friend. And over the next three years, we became that much closer. We eventually found other believers. We uh, had them join crusade with us. I even got the privilege of leading some people to Christ, even my fraternity brothers, some of them. I mean, it was quite a ride. But through it all, me and my original friend remained close. We roomed together on and off. We uh, went on retreats together. We prayed a lot. One could argue that he was my best friend during college. And toward the end of the final semester of our senior year, he announced to me one day that he was gay. Now, guys, I got to tell you, back today or today, for somebody to come out and announce they're gay is become obviously more commonplace. What you need to know is that in 1986, it was almost unheard of for somebody to admit that. And, and I had no clue. I got to tell you, the day he told me was a day I'll never forget. He did something, in hindsight, rather creative. He was terrified to tell me. And so what he did was he took a letter that he had been given, and he took this letter, actually it was a letter he had, had written, and he took the letter and he folded the top half over, the salutation part, where it said, Dear So-and-so, and said to me, Before you see who this letter is to, I want you to read the body of the letter. Because at the end it said, Love his name. Love and then his name. And so I'm reading the letter, and it's a, it's a love letter. It's very romantic. And all the while, I'm assuming that this was written to some girl that we know because he and I have been buddies for all these years, and he was going to share with me who he's now dating. And I got done reading the letter, and he said, okay, now flip open the top. I flipped it up, and it was not a girl's name at the top there. And I looked at him, again, one of my best friends, if not my best friend at that time, and I said, you're kidding me. And he said, no. Some of you go, what do you do with that? I mean, what do you share with somebody? And, and, and it wasn't difficult. I got to tell you guys, even 30 years now as I process this, it was not difficult for me to formulate a response to my friend. I can remember to this day saying this to him. I said, well, this surprises me. I never knew. And I'm sure you know that I'm 
not going to be in agreement with this lifestyle. I said that to him, but I then said to him right away, and I remember saying this, I said, but I got to tell you, I do love you, and I know that it must have taken a tremendous amount of courage for you to share this with me. This was way toward the end of our college experience. As a few days of our semester wound up, we spent some time obviously talking about this and processing this. And I came to find out that not only was it courageous for him to share this with me, but I also come to find out that it was agony for him the whole time we had been friends for four years to not share this with me. At one point I asked him, how long have you been feeling this way about your sexuality? And if you've ever talked with somebody who's wrestling with their sexuality on that level, he said to me, as long as I can remember, I I've been struggling with this. And then I even came to find out that he had been seeing a therapist, which again was not very common back then. Today it's vogue to see a therapist. Back in the 80s it wasn't. And he'd been seeing a therapist on the sly for two years to help him deal with this before he dared to tell anybody. And I didn't know that either. And I was one of his closest friends. And as he and I kept touch over the years, especially when I was a pastor in Michigan for a decade, you know, we would talk every now and then about his sexuality and his lifestyle choice. And he knew, I want to be very clear, he knew and he knows that I have some issues with it. I mean, we've certainly talked about that. But to this day, I got to tell you, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a minute, I still admire, at the very least, his willingness and the courage it took to be honest about what he was truly feeling and thinking because here's why. It gave me the platform to have an intelligent discussion with him about it. And see, that's my point here, gang, is that in general, I hope we all agree with that. I hope we all agree that we would rather have people around us be honest about what they're truly believing or even struggling with believing because people aren't always sure than to hold it in and live a duplicitous life. I mean, some of you, sadly speaking, really don't want to go there. You don't want to have that. You'd rather have people just not tell you thank you so that you don't have to deal with it. And the reality is, is that if you think that way at all, welcome to my world. See, I don't have that luxury. I got to deal with you guys all week long. And so even among Christians, there's a lot of messed upness. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of issues. And I don't have the luxury to say that I'm not going to listen to it. No, I have to hope, and I do, that you guys are going to be honest about your issues. And so quite frankly, I admire the courage, even among many of you, when you come to me and say, I'm an alcoholic or my marriage is crumbling, or my kids aren't doing so well, or I have long-term depression, or I have out-of-control finances, or even I'm wrestling with my sexuality. Again, whether I agree with it or not, because many times I don't, I at least admire the courage that it takes to be honest and to come clean. Think about the alternative, and I think we've given this message at times to the culture around us. The only other alternative is to ask them to live a hidden, silent, duplicitous life, and nobody really wants that. At the end of the day, most people don't even respect that. No, at the end of the day, even when it's hard, even when it might cost someone greatly, like knowing that others might disagree and even bolt, we all admire someone who is honest and authentic about what they believe or even what they're struggling to believe. 
And now where am I going with this? Why am I mentioning this? Some of you are hoping I'm not going to do a message on homosexuality today. And I'm not. When I told my wife I was going to do this introduction, because she certainly knows who this individual is, she said to me, and she's so perceptive, she said, well, it sounds like Christians need to do the same with their own faith. And I said, precisely. See, that's the adjustment that Jesus is going to take you and I through today. If you can latch on to this idea that we all admire the courage that it takes somebody to be honest. Again, whether people around them or not will agree, but at least the courage that it takes to be honest, you're now ready to understand what Jesus is going to say to you today as we look at this fifth adjustment. Because he's going to turn the tables on you and I right now and say, guess what, church? I'm asking you to do the same as well. I'm asking you to come out. I'm asking you to come clean with what's really going on in your faith with me. What do we mean by that? I want you to look at what happens uh, next in John 12. I mentioned earlier that we're in one chapter for six weeks of the Bible. We're looking at six major adjustments that Jesus puts before us that if we can all do in our lives are going to propel our Christian lives forward in a way that's almost unimaginable. And we're at the fifth adjustment. We're going to read about it now, verses 36 to 43 of John 12. And so if you brought a Bible, turn there right now. Or if you have your outline, look on your outline. Or if you're refusing to do both of those things, at least look at me as I read the scripture here on the monitor. Aren't I sneaky? Here's what it says. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his, meaning Jesus' glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now, there's a lot going on in this little paragraph here in the scriptures. I mean, a lot going on. And just to make it very understandable that when you look closely here, you find that as people are interacting with Jesus during this last week of his life, before his death, death and resurrection, there are two primary groups of people being talked about here. Let's understand who they are. First, in verse 37, it says that there were those who were not believing in him, so there's just those who are just saying, we don't buy what Jesus is saying, and we're not going to place our faith in him. But then there was a second group, those who believed in him. But interestingly, John adds this editorial note. He says, but they weren't confessing him. And again, I don't know about you, but I'm really interested in that second group. I mean, I get the first group because we got a lot of those in our culture today. And we talk about them a lot here at Scottsdale Bible Church. So I had to pick one group to focus on for time's sake today. I'm not going to choose to focus on them now. We talk about them a lot here and we'll continue to. But I don't know about you. I'm very interested in what makes this group tick 
And what's really going on in somebody back then, and then we're going to springboard into Scottsdale today, because I think it's going on today, is this idea of believing in Jesus, but not confessing him. Let's take a look at the description again. Look at verse 42. It says, nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now, <laughs> I looked up that word many this week in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. And I was fascinated as to what that word literally means. You ready for this? Say it with me. Many. That's what that word means. So like it means what we interpreted in the English. There were many people back then, even of the rulers, that word means societal and religious rulers. There were many among them that believed in him or believed in Jesus. So when John says there were many that didn't believe in him, they're also saying there are many that did believe in him. And it's interesting, that phrase, believe in him, is a very unique phraseology in the original Greek. And watch this, in the Gospel of John, whenever that phraseology is used, it means to believe in Jesus unto salvation for the forgiveness of your very sins. So some people have tried to say about this verse, well, yeah, but they believe, but because they didn't confess, they're not saved. No, you can't say that here. Because John is making it very clear. These are people who are saved. They believe in Jesus. They've trusted him for eternal life. They believe. It's the Greek word pistis. They have faith in him. But then he adds that they were not confessing this belief that they had in Jesus because they were afraid of being kicked out of the Jewish faith and all that this would mean. Let's dial into that word confess. In the original Greek, this is a very, very fascinating word. It's the Greek word homologeo. Homologeo. It's actually a combination of two different Greek words. Homo, which means single or one. And logos, which means to say something or speak something. It means words. And so put together, homologeo means to singularly speak about which you believe to be true. The word means to profess, to admit, to declare something. It simply means to speak it to those around you. So going back to our introduction that made some of you very uncomfortable as I was talking about it, it simply means to come out. It means to come clean. When the Greeks would use the phrase homologeo, and they always didn't use it in religious context, they used it in all kinds of contexts, it simply means to get honest about what you're thinking and about what you're feeling so that those around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your fellow students, are gonna know what's Trump in your interior life. Homologeo, to confess. Now, let's go back to John 12. In light of faith in Jesus... This is what these many, even among the societal and religious leaders, were struggling with. You see, they were struggling with linking their belief in him with confessing or letting others even know that they believed in him. In other words, that old saying is true. They wanted to have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> they wanted to have a private belief in Jesus that wouldn't affect their everyday life. 
They wanted to have a Sunday-only faith, or back then it would have been the Sabbath on Saturday-only faith, in which they could pray and worship and feel good about their relationship with the Lord. But they didn't want the corresponding heat that this might create Monday through Saturday. They didn't want to be on an airplane, or back then a chariot going to Galilee on Tuesday for a business trip and have somebody ask them, what's that book you're reading? And what does that WWJD bracelet you have on mean? They didn't want to have to deal with questions like that at all. They wanted to believe. They just didn't want to confess. And he turns up here when John even tells us why. And again, I don't know about you, but this just sounds so brutal to me. Like I'm having compassion on these dear people up to this point. And then John says in verse 43, for they loved the approval of men more than the approval, or rather than the approval of God. I gotta tell you, those are harsh words. I mean, I'm like going, well, cut these people some slack. I mean, there's a lot at stake. They could get kicked out of the synagogue. They could get kicked out of their Jewish faith. They're just trying to walk a thin line here. And John cuts to the quick and goes right to their motives and says, nah, this is all about uh, their relationship with God and whether they're going to listen to God or whether they're going to care more about what the culture around them thinks. See, I spent a lot of time trying to think about these these, these dear people back in the first century, because you're gonna hear me say in a second, I think there's a lot of them here in this room and a lot of them here in our, in our, in our culture today. These people had jobs and responsibilities back then. They had friendships and family relationships. And though all that Jesus said to them made sense and they responded with faith and belief, and as I said earlier, true faith and belief, they also knew that if they outed themselves... <laughs> If they told anybody, there'd be a really high cost to pay. I don't know if you guys caught the description in verse 42, but it says that they feared, and I quote, to be put out of the synagogue. Uh, my friend Kathy is in this service here, and she's an expert on, on Jewish faith and history. She would know what that means back then, right, Kathy? I mean, there was Old Testament law that said if you varied too far in your belief system, if you varied too far from your Old Testament practice, as Exodus 31, 14 would say, and I quote, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And so there was a form of what now is called excommunication back then. And here's all that's going on here. These people aren't naive. They're going, if they'll kick you out for just not following the law, then if we agree that Jesus is a Messiah and the Jewish leaders don't agree he's the Messiah, we're in bad trouble if we out ourselves on that one. We're in bad trouble if we tell them about this. And again, these are people, as I'm going to share with you in a minute, that had worked really hard uh, to find their niche within first century Palestine. And they knew intuitively, please feel this, that there was a tough choice before them. And I don't think John's being too harsh. I mean, he kind of nails it here. He says it, it comes down to the approval of men and the approval of God. See, some of you don't like that. Some of you are saying right now, well, no, no, Jamie, it's more complicated than that. I mean, couldn't there be kind of a hybrid here where they're like, you know, 40% for man and 60% for God and they're trying to walk this thin line? And I don't know, maybe there is, but Jesus doesn't buy any of that. Do you remember what he said? Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You're either gonna love the one and hate the other or hate the one or love the other. And eventually you're gonna have to choose. As C.S. Lewis says, there's only one first place status. 
I mean, we give our kids participation awards today, but hopefully we still tell them there is a blue ribbon. There, there, there is such thing as first place in life. And you're not always going to make it in life first place. But God says, I always want to have first place status in your life. Because I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that loves you. I'm the one that saved your pathetic soul. So give me your utmost allegiance. And the reality is, is that that's what they, that was what was on the line here. They were really struggling with that. And they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to be believers, but they didn't want to be outed. They didn't have the courage to be outed. And eventually, Jesus would put his finger on that. And John's putting his finger on it here too. And so again, you guys know I'm not God's gift to intellectualism, but, but here's the adjustment if you ask me. And that's that the adjustment being taught to you and I is this idea of thinking we can be believing only type people without having to be confessing to type of people. Or put more simply, some of us need to go from believing only to confessing to in the world around you. You know, again, I know I'm an old softy at the end of the day, but I really did spend a lot of time in this text this week and tried to understand what these people might have been thinking and feeling back then. Because in, in one sense, it was a more difficult world than the one we live in today. But in another sense, I'll share in a minute, you and I have some unique pressures that they didn't have. But, but here's one thing they did all know, and I hope you guys know this today, and that's that whether you decide to confess your faith in Jesus or not, I think we all do know that if you decide to follow Jesus, it's an all-in proposition. Give me a head nod, head nod that you know that. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that once Jesus enters into your life, he's gonna weasel his way into every aspect of your life and it's gonna start affecting every area of your life. And they knew that back then. They knew that to follow Jesus was gonna affect the entertainment mediums they engaged in, their use of language, what they chose to wear or not wear, how they voted. Of course, back then they didn't really get a vote, but they did have a political view and a societal view, how they would spend their money, how they'd approach their marriage, their parenting. And as we're seeing here in this context, even the choice to say, I'm one of them. <laughs> Because as soon as they said, I'm one of them, as we've already seen, there was a price to pay for that. So they knew that it was an all-in venture. They just didn't know if they were ready for the heat. Or as the great theologian Garth Brooks would say in one of his songs, I love this line. He says, life is not tried. It is merely survived if you're standing outside the fire. See, they knew that. They knew that their faith would go nowhere if they were standing outside the fire. First Peter 1, the refining fire needed to surround them in their faith. It's just that they didn't know if they really wanted to stand inside the fire. They wanted to have their faith outside of the flames. And that meant not being outed. And they were really wrestling with that. And see, here's my point. I think that many of us struggle with this today, especially living in 21st century America, and even more so in a town like Scottsdale, where let's face it, it's not vogue to be a believer in Jesus anymore, is it? I mean, some of us long for the great old days of Reagan. Remember those days? I mean, I'm not going to comment on Reagan as a political figure. I'm just saying that the early 80s, evangelicalism was on the rise, and Time Magazine declared the, the year of the evangelical, and, you know, you had Jimmy Carter who had become born again, and now you got the moral majority, and things were looking up, and, and that's when I got saved. 
And, and, and honestly, I mean, it was, it was almost a badge of honor back then. But that was 30 years ago. And if you notice, culture has changed drastically in 30 years. More so than I ever thought it would. And, and so now those days are gone. And now it's not, and somebody texted me after the last service. He said, man, there's so much political correctness out there today. It's really hard to admit <laughs> as a follower of Jesus in popular culture what it is you really believe. I mean, let's be honest, guys. And this is, I, I'm impressed by this by many of you. I'm, not, I'm, I'm leading somewhere in this, but I'm impressed by this with you. I, I look out even right now, and many of you have worked very hard to carve your niche in the society and culture and community around us. You have. You've done very well at your jobs. You have the respect of people around you for what you do, and they look up to you, and they even like you. You've coached your kids' sports games. You've gotten involved in a hobby and joined a club, maybe even a country club. You have sat on the HOA board, and you've gotten involved in your neighborhoods. And you've spent years cultivating a place in the world around us. And again, I want you to hear me saying this. I think that's good. I mean, if the only other alternative is to retreat, then I applaud you guys. You've done a good job. But here's what you sense, and tell me if this is not true. You also believe in Jesus. And what you wrestle with at times, I know it is because I'm with you in the battle, is marrying this belief that I have in the Savior of my soul with the rest of the world around me. Because <laughs> if they only knew, there would be H-E double toothpicks to pay, right? I mean, it would be a difficult, difficult road. You worship him on Sunday. You might have daily devotions every morning. You might attend a Bible study, serve, give a little bit. You might even be a part of a small group. But all the while, you know intuitively that if you get too crazy about all this and others find out, there might be a cost to this. Especially as our world has gotten a lot more decadent and a lot more secular and their view of Christianity is not what it used to be. How, how do I know this is true? <laughs> Let me just speak very candidly here. What, what would happen if tomorrow you went to church, and we didn't talk about this today, but just assume we did. You went to, to tomorrow went to work, and somebody in an insane moment said to you, hey, what did you do yesterday? And now you have the choice of either lying or telling them the truth. And so you decide to tell them the truth because if you lie, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You don't want to be under that indictment for the rest of the day. So you say, well, I went to church. And then in another insane moment, they say to you, Doc, well, what, what did they talk about in church? Now, say for the sake of argument that what I talked about in church today is a core biblical truism that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Would you tell that to the friend who asked? Thank you. She says, yes. I think you're nuts. But the reality is, no, I, I don't. See, I, I think some of you go, man, that's a hot one. Give me a head nod that that's a hot one. By the way, that is so true in the Bible. I, 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 know, I don't know a lot of things. I know this book. It is clear that Jesus Christ, watch this, I love this, is our single sent savior for all of humanity. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. When people try to say, well, it's wrong that God only has one way. No, it's not. 
God broke into this world 2,000 years ago out of massive love for all of humanity and came in the form of the second person of the Trinity and lived in this muck, went to a sinner's death, bore the weight of the world of the sin upon him, and then said, come ye, come all, through faith in Jesus Christ. Does that sound exclusionary to me? Doesn't to you? Or other way around. See, here's my point. You clap now. (laughs) But I'm telling you, just that message alone is a little bit of a mismatch from the world that you're going to live in tomorrow through Saturday. And you all know that. And it creates a tension. I'm just getting ramped up. I'm not going to harp on this, but geez, can you imagine if they, if they knew your entire worldview? I mean, hopefully since you followed Jesus, your, your Christianity, your faith has had an effect on your morality, your view of culture your view of politics, your view of art, social engineering, academia, parenting, grandparenting, money. Do I need to go on and on? I, I mean, again, the Bible talks about all these issues. And it doesn't mean that Christians always agree on these issues. We're intelligent people. Uh, but it doesn't mean the Bible doesn't talk about these issues. And so there really is merit to developing a Christian worldview. But watch this. Every second you develop a Christian worldview, I can promise you, it's going against the worldview that's out there. And we have to be careful here because it doesn't mean us against them. It See, here's the opposite extreme. Then some people get all excited and go, well, I, I'm up for the fight. You know, and I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I'm just going to scream at all those cubicles. Y'all are going to hell. <laughs> See, I don't think that's the answer to this. Do you? It might be true, but that's not the answer. They're probably not going to jump up from their cubicles and say, tell me more. I mean, that, that usually doesn't happen. So, so I'm not saying that we go out and start offending people. That's, listen to me, gang. That is not what confess means. If you walk out of this message thinking confess means that Jamie said I got to start bugging people more about things, that ain't it. What confesses, now, now don't, don't miss this. It's an issue of the heart, isn't it? I mean, it's an issue of where your heart is each moment of each day. Are, are you afraid to tell people about Jesus? Because if you are, that's going to make you want to seek the approval of men, not the approval of God. Or are you okay inside with all that he is to you? And as God gives opportunity, you're not afraid to stand inside the fire. That's really what all this is about. And if you're centered in Christ and you're not afraid, God says he will use you in profound, profound ways. I'm going to use the uh, four slides, gang, that I didn't use in the last service. I just feel led to do a little bit something. Different. Is that you back there, Leah, on the uh, thing? Oh, good. It's good to see you again and, uh, and, and on the slides. So uh, let me give you guys a real quick primer on what this might look like. I, I, I gave a lot of thought to this in my office this week, and I thought, this is really cool. I want to share with you what I call the power, the price, the push, and the product if you're at all interested in being a good confessor. First, let's deal with the, the really the only negative here. This is the power of a belief held in. This is what happens when you try to have a belief, but you choose not to confess it to anybody around you. And that is that eventually what will build up in your soul is fear, shame, and a lack of joy. And could it be that this is why a lot of Christians experience this? You're afraid of being found out. You're afraid of ever people knowing what it is you really believe because, gosh, they really wouldn't approve of that. And then you start to feel shame, naturally speaking. 
In other words, now you're caught because you're torn between who? You're torn between God and the approval of others. And so you feel shame with that because like, you know, you're selling the farm half the day, but then the other day you go home and you say, God, I'm really sorry. And, and so you're in this shame mode and God doesn't want you there. And at the end of the day, you really don't have a lot of joy. You're just defensive. And, and, and so this is where we're trying to avoid here. This is where those people were heading uh, when it came to uh, being uh, ones who couldn't go from belief to confess. Now, here's what happens next, however. The price of a belief confessed is a real mixed bag. And I've experienced this so much, guys. I mean, this is really real stuff. The price when you finally confess is relief, freedom, and then loneliness and rejection, which is why some of you don't want to do it. When I first got saved, I... Uh, <laughs> I, I learned this the hard way. I went to all of my friends. I was in, in late high school. Some of your high schools love this. I went to my friends and I said, I accepted Jesus last night as my savior. And, and you know, I thought it was the most exciting thing and wonderful thing. And they were like, well, what does that mean? And I explained the gospel to them. And, and then they were pretty sharp kids. They said, well, wait a second. Does this mean you're not gonna get drunk with us anymore on the weekends? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure it means that. And, and then they said, and you're, and you're not going to chase girls anymore, at least in the way you used to. I said, yeah, I think it means that. And, and, and then they said, and you're going to go to church? I said, yeah, I think eventually be a Baptist church. Yeah, I think it's going to mean that. And literally almost all my friends by the end of my senior year of high school had left me. Which is why, by the way, <laughs> I had to find new ones when I went to college. <laughs> and it wasn't that they didn't like me anymore. It's just that my lifestyle now was nowhere near matching theirs. I, I can still remember one, it was a really amazing time. I remember my freshman year, remember only two friends, and I was home um, over Christmas back in Chagrin Falls from Hillsdale College, and uh, it was New Year's after Christmas, obviously, and uh, I got invited to a bunch of New Year's parties. And so I went out with all my old high school drinking buddies, and I remember shooting pool at Steve's house, and, 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 and at that point, it was getting closer to midnight, they were going to switch houses to go where the big party was, and it was just going to be one big debauchery drunk fest for the rest of the night. And, and, and I remember saying to my friends, hey, why don't we just stay here and play pool? And they looked at me like I was an idiot and said, we're going to go the, to the party. And so I went home. I can still remember walking into my parents' home at 11.30 on New Year's Eve, 1982, and dad looks at me and goes, what are you doing home? And I said, well, they were going to go out drinking and all that, and I'm just not into that. And I went up to my room. This was way before the days of internet and even iPods and stuff like that. I had a record player. Some of you remember that. But I, I turned the radio on, and I turned to the Christian station in Cleveland. And some of you remember this. Um, InterVarsity had their, uh, every three years, Urbana, which was a big conference. And I'm listening to Urbana play. <laughs> I almost get weepy thinking about this. So I was listening to Urbana play uh, on the radio and the speakers as they're ushering in midnight. And I gotta tell you, I, it was the first time I remember experiencing this. I was never more lonely in my life and yet never more content and joyful in my life. Does that make any sense at all? Some of you experience that. And so there really is a price to pay when it comes to outing yourself. <laughs> to standing tall for Jesus and to following him. And as a young Christian, I experienced that, that there was relief and there was freedom, but there was loneliness and even rejection. But God is in all that. He's so good. Let's look at the next thing because this gets more encouraging. The, the push that believers need today, now this one's really powerful. There's only three things you need to do today 
if you really want to be a Christian who learns how to confess. Because if you notice here, watch this, guys. I've not told you what to do today. Have you noticed that? Like some people get done with a message like this. They go, well, he didn't tell me how I confess. Do you know why I'm not going to tell you that? Because I'm not going to insult your intelligence. And there's no one size fits all. I'm not going to give you three easy steps. And how you, Glenn has a different personality than Kathy. And Michael has a different personality than Joe over here. You all have different personalities. God wants to use those personalities. So whatever confess means to you is how he wants to use that. But here's what we all will share. Is that if you learn to be a Christian who's outed in the culture today, you will be a man or woman of conviction, passion, and courage. Conviction means that you really believe what you believe. Ask you that. Ask yourself that, that sometimes. Just say, when I say that Jesus Christ is my Savior, what do I mean by that? I, I saw somebody laughing earlier when I said, he has saved your pathetic soul. Some of you laugh when I say that. I mean it seriously. I mean, I mean when I get in touch, a la Ephesians 2, with what my life was like before I knew Christ, and I look at what he has done for me. I am so grateful that he forgave me and that he saved me and that he's given me a place in eternity. Point being, I really believe this stuff. How about you? And so when I'm tempted to pull back, when there's times where I think, oh no, I don't want to say anything because it might rock the boat, I think to myself, but this is real stuff. This is true. And if I don't say something, they very well might spend a Christless eternity. And I'm worried about what they think of me? Honestly? I mean, when I think in a conviction-oriented way, it makes a huge difference. And then that leads to passion, that, that, that once you have conviction, are you excited about what Jesus is doing in your life, yes or no? Again, if you're excited about something, don't you usually share it with people around you? I've always used this analogy. You know, every time my nephew just got engaged, Keegan, he lives up in, in Washington State, and he got married, engaged a wonderful Christian gal named Lizzie. And I'm going to do their wedding in uh, December. I'm, I'm kind of insulted. He called me and said, hey, hey, Uncle Jamie, uh, we can't find anybody else to marry us. So, <laughs> and I said, yes, I'll marry you. So I'm going to be traveling over Christmas to marry my nephew, Keegan. But, you know, when Keegan and Lizzie first started dating and then got engaged, I'm telling you, they went and told everybody. I mean, they, they, look at that ring. Look at that ring. Isn't that awesome? And, and we're all excited. And that's what people do when they're in love. Amen? So why don't we do that when we're in love with Jesus? <laughs> see, see, if Jesus, if you're really excited about the fact that you're in a love relationship with him, then wouldn't you want to tell people about it? Again, appropriately, and, and, and using the temperament God has given you. And then even with that, sometimes it does take courage. Come on. You guys know what courage is. Courage is moving forward in spite of the fear. So courage is not the absence of fear. Courage looks fear in the face and says, go away, I'm doing it anyways. And you and I, as Hebrew says, are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who move forward in the face of fear. So honestly, this isn't complicated. Be a man or woman of conviction. Dig deep with your passion. Show some courage. God will lead you in the way he wants you to go. And then here, this really excites me, the product of a believe confess. I love this, is this. And that is that if you dare to confess what you truly believe, you will find that there is integrity, integration, and intimacy. What do I mean by that? 
Well, there's integrity. You know know what the word integrity means? Wholeness. (laughs) Integrity means being non-duplicitous. It means that you're fit together as a whole. Your inner life is matching your outer life. So if you're honest about what you believe, there's integrity. But then for the Christian, there's also integration. In other words, remember I said earlier about the tension you all feel between your belief and your confessing? If you learn to confess, you're going to integrate your Sunday world with your Monday through Thursday world. And at times, it might be lonely and rejecting. I'm not promising you anything here, but you will feel that there's an integration in which you look back and say, only God, this is awesome. And then thirdly, and this one I can promise you, is intimacy. Why is that so? Because if you choose the approval of God over the approval of man, he will draw close to you. And like that night when I was listening to Urbana on the radio, I was lonely. I was wondering where all my friends were, and God was right there. And I felt intimacy with him, and I was okay. And God's going to do that for you as well. Last story, and then we're going to go to our elder fund offering. This was really a God moment. On Thursday, I'm preparing this message at my home office, and I get a text I mean, this is so God. I get a text from a single mom in our church that Kim and I are dear friends with, and she's raising a couple of kids on her own, and she's doing just a bang-up job with them, and we're so uh, honored to be their friends. And she sent me uh, one of the boys, uh, his homework assignment that he did for the public school that he goes to. And she just got a kick out of it, but it was so meaningful. Uh, He had been asked to write a very short essay entitled, What Do I Stand For?, you know, so the public school teacher was just trying to get the kids to talk about their convictions, what they're standing tall for in, in, in society. And, and this is what this elementary school kid wrote for his homework assignment. He said, so what do I stand for? Well, I will tell you. I would not necessarily say what, but who. Let's get started on our conversation. I stand for Jesus and represent him through me. I am baptized and will continue to live my life for him in the way that he would want me to. The reason why I want to come to know Jesus is that the Bible tells us that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do I have rough times in my life? I do. But I know that I can run to him for help. I can also pray and ask forgiveness. And the Bible tells us that when you are asking, you are immediately forgiven of your sin. This is who I am standing for and I will never stop. From the mouth of a babe. Wow. Now, some of you aren't clapping, but maybe you'll clap at this. The teacher wrote awesome right across the page, which I thought was very good. Amen? Yeah. See, I know how some of you think. You're thinking, okay, Jamie, that's kind of an inspiring story, but you know what? The kid's young, he's naive, life gets more complicated. You are so stinking cynical. You really are. (laughs) So you go, how do you know I thought that? Well, okay. Uh, Here's the deal. Life does get more complicated. and, And life does become more difficult than it was in elementary school. But to him who has been given much, much will be expected. And the reality is, is that God has blessed you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, in ways Unimaginable. You ever read Ephesians 1.3? It says that we have been blessed in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Can you imagine that? Basically, God says that he has put the fullness of his power and grace inside of you, 
And a huge part of that is to be able to do what he says. So don't let anybody else convince you otherwise. Yeah, life gets more complex. Yeah, it's difficult. But this kid, bless his heart, shows us that this is where it all begins for you and I. Let's grow up today. Let's stop thinking like junior high kids at the lunch table that are all concerned about what everybody thinks. And let's serve an audience of one. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your goodness. Thank you for this time in your word and for all that you bless us with. God, I pray that as we uh, go into our elder fund offering now and worship you with this wonderful last song, that God, you might be pleased and you'd hammer home to each of our hearts and minds what it means to follow you, both believing and confessing. Give us courage. Give us passion. Give us conviction, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. Amen.